0: right, guys, welcome back to the show again. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you and it's great to be in hunting season. I hope you guys are enjoying uh, being out in God's creation and just doing what we spend all year talking and dreaming and thinking about and getting out there and filling some tags. I know that I'm about to leave. I'm not sure when this will air, but um, I'm about to leave uh, in about 10 days for my second trip. This will be my first big backcountry trip hunt of the year and then uh um, won't be long for heading out on the next one after that so god is good um it's a busy time of year but i'm so blessed and so happy to be able to do what i love and uh keep bringing you guys content and uh we got some great footage on the first hunt in wyoming uh the antelope were rutting hard And uh, it was just an awesome time to be out there, and it went down way quicker than I thought. So, uh, hopefully, you heard that um, recap episode. If you haven't, go back and check it out. And um, that's going to be a really cool episode when I eventually get it out to you guys. So, anyway, this week I'm kind of continuing the theme I've been. talking to a lot of guys uh, and gals lately in the kind of outdoor tv space it's something that i'm sort of interested in um given my tv background and um so yeah this week uh my guest is greg ritz Uh, greg is the host and producer of a show called hunt masters on outdoor channel he's been doing it for man i think I think that shows in its 13th season or something, but he's been in outdoor TV for a long time. Uh, really accomplished hunter, uh, fellow East Coaster. He lives up in New Hampshire, which is cool. So we talk about that, and we also talk about um, he's you know kind of in this uh, going after the North American 29 slam thing. So we talk about that and Alaska and a um, whole bunch of stuff. It's a great episode. hope you guys enjoy it. And um, yeah, if you get a chance, uh, make sure to leave me a rating and a review. Those are still really helpful. If you get a chance and you haven't yet, you know, leave me a review on Apple. Um, definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel and stay tuned for um, some cool stuff that I got in the works uh, for this coming year. As always, keep me and the project in prayer. You know, as I expand and look to grow and expand my platforms and stuff. You know, I always want to remain true um, to, you know, one of my original visions, which was to create content that's enjoyable and informative for everybody, but also to, uh, to glorify God and to, uh, bring, you know, the name of Jesus into this space. So, um, I do want to say, you know, thank you to him and to all you guys that support me in that. And, um, all glory goes to God, you know, as I continue, uh, this season and this journey and hope you guys are enjoying, uh, kind of following along with me as I grow and learn and discover and explore and show that, uh, you know, the opportunities and the adventures are out there. You don't have to wait years to make your dream hunt happen. You know, if you can't afford a guide, that's okay. You know, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. So, um looking forward to everything we got coming down the line hope you'll stick around keep supporting the show and the project and my great partners here so um anyway without much further ado i'm going to jump into this week's episode with greg ritz and i hope you enjoy it and have a great rest of your season All right, guys. Well, welcome to the show. This is your host Hunter, and I'm here today with my guest Greg Ritz. How you doing, man?
1: Excellent, excellent. Appreciate the invite.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, we were just talking about uh, you talking about some of my my skulls back here, and I got I see you got a, a nice bull back there, a nice mule deer. Is that an Audad?
1: Do uh yes um no no. So that's a tur from Azerbaijan. Okay. Yeah, so in the goat species, you know, yeah, but, uh, but uh, harvested him in the Caucasus Mountains, uh, right oh, on wow. the border of Russia. <laughs>
0: Dang! So you were saying you were you're six animals away from a super slam. What what exactly is a is a super slam?
1: So the North American twenty nine big game animals. So the bear species, the caribou species, the whitetail species, mule deer species, as well as kind of your one offs, which is your bison, your mountain lion. Mm-hmm so there's 29 in north america and uh i really never set out as a as a goal to do it but i'm down to uh polar bear rocky mountain bighorn uh blacktail which is over uh, over your shoulder uh bison mm-hmm. and mountain lion. so i'm uh i'm getting down. i think that's going to be a career uh um, goal of mine just because yeah. i'm so close That not many people can say that and uh and i've shot uh i think all of them with uh with a muzzle loader
0: Oh, no way. Yeah. Didn't Jim Shockey do that all with the muzzle litter? He like did. back in the day?
1: He did. His trophies aren't as big as mine, though. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> he may be taller than me, but I shoot bigger animals.
0: Nice. I like it. Talking smack right out the gate.
1: I know. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a good man. We shared many a, a camp together. I tell you That's what, cool. there's, no, there's no tougher hunter than that man alive. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're like the American Jim Shockey.
1: I am the American. I'm the new one new version. <laughs> Right.
0: Okay. Sweet man. Um well that's cool. So do you have any of those species on your list for this year to check off or try to?
1: So uh well this year I just killed my barren ground caribou last week.
0: Yeah. Uh, which and I then want to hear I more about.
1: My uh my Coos Whitetail, which will complete all of my uh, whitetail species in Mexico. Awesome. So uh I'll be uh I'll be whittling on that list and you know, I think now that I'm close, I'll probably try to pick up one or two animals a year. Like a Rocky Mountain Bighorn is probably going to be my toughest to crawl. Yeah. And it's so expensive anymore to try to purchase a tag Yeah, to, uh, about the price of my house. Jeez.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Um, so I'm also going to be going out of Mexico chasing coos oh, um, with uh, with Brian and Ryan. You met Brian at TAC.
1: I did, yeah.
0: Um, I was there too, but I was, uh, I was just around podcasting, and and I didn't get a chance to meet you. But um, did you guys have fun shooting together?
1: Oh, we had a we had a blast. It, as you know, there there's never a bad situation attack. You learn so much from being on the mountain, whether it's wind or thermals or sight position, mm-hmm. cloud cover, uh, just the way they set the targets are amazing, and it's kind of to me where I make the benchmark. I want to be ready for my, my Western hunts by tack and tack is yeah. the fire. My bow's done. My arrows are sighted in everything's qualified because you know, I mean, you're shooting out hundred yards, 120 yeah. if you're on the knock on course.
0: Yeah. My, my bow is still like set up for Virginia. Like I don't even, cause all my Western hunts to this point have been rifle hunts.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: and so I'm kind of, and I've kind of been like a little bit intentional about that because I'm just still kind of figuring it out, you know, and such a different style of hunting. So, but I think I should draw Wyoming general elk tag next year, which I'm going to try archery, Lord willing, if I if I uh, draw it, and then I'll pick up the rifle if that's not happening, but. This year, I need to step up my game a little bit and uh, and walk out the distance a little bit. I'm pretty good with it out to about 70, but I'm not even set up to go past that.
1: Yeah. But, you know, and, and realistically, unless it's antelope or a, a unique situation, like, I don't ever shoot beyond yeah. 60. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact for you, if you didn't know, I grew up in Maryland. Oh, okay. What part? Yep. Uh, just northwest of Baltimore
0: okay all Uh, right
1: area called reister's town so uh i grew up hunting all the public land in in maryland and then on the eastern shore for sick deer and then you hunt virginia every year at george washington national forest
0: that's awesome man so uh, my first ever like public land big game animal was on the jefferson national forest um and then uh (laughs) that was a funny trip Actually on that trip I shot a hole through the floorboard of my truck with my granddad's old thirty
1: <laughs> thirty. <laughs> oh my goodness. I bet yeah. you that got everybody's attention.
0: Oh yeah. Um that was yeah, that was a it's funny now. It was very terrible in the time <laughs> that it happened. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, we did a podcast about that. It was like my first ever like public land, like hunt ever of like any type. So, um, managed to come out of there with a, a small deer, but, um, that's cool, man. So are you on, are you on the East coast still?
1: Yeah. So I live it still live in New Hampshire. Okay. Uh, and you know, it's interesting, um, uh, you know, as I plan my hunt schedule, we spend so much time out West, obviously adventure hunts and in the Yukon or, or Alaska or, or internationally. And I forget about how much great hunting is on the east coast. Yeah. So uh in a couple of weeks, so actually when I get back from New Mexico, my elk hunt, I have uh, a main moose hunt. Sweet. It's like the coveted tag in, in yeah. the north. How long did it take you to draw that? Twenty years. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh you know, the tags keep going down. I don't know if uh they've lost probably half the population of winter moose kill? over the last five years no you know what oh, you know what it is it's it's kind of kind of gross it's uh the ticks are killing them and they ball up by the tens of thousands of them in, in the winter so they use uh the moose pri- primarily the smaller weaker the calf or a cow or something that can't withstand them and, and literally bleed them out and um that's crazy man
0: um i was on a bear hunt this year in idaho and the ticks were so bad it killed one of our pack llamas get out yeah wow so i mean i you know
1: you've experienced
0: it yeah i mean honestly like i hate to even say it but i mean like you know climate change like the winters aren't killing off the ticks the way they used to
1: right and obviously the ticks like any you know species has adapted yeah, uh, you know, so the, the ticks are hardier even when you get a cold freeze, but, uh, there's no doubt that the cycle, the, the world is in globally. I mean, we've been through this at least three periods. Yeah. We've been through three ice ages and it warms back up and whatever period went right. for whatever reasons, um, definitely is, uh, you know, it's having an impact on wildlife. For you know sure,
0: that? man. Um, so back to the East coast thing. So you're in New Hampshire. That's cool because. I, you know, I'm sort of, uh, in the Western hunting space, I mean, I grew up obviously hunting out here, but, um, kind of when I discovered Western hunting, it really changed my life. So that's kind of where I put most of my focus now, but, um, it's nice to connect with somebody who's East coast again. Um, so, uh, do you still ever hunt in Maryland? Cause my dad has a place, small place in Talbot County and he's all into shooting geese, you know, and there's some deer over there, but he's mainly a waterfowl guy.
1: I haven't been back in years but i ran into a guy a funny uh coincidence in caribou camp so we're in our base camp uh-huh. he was actually there he and his dad were there for fishing and he lives on the eastern shore of maryland and he does agricultural appraisals so okay. uh you know i had a conversation his name's ben with ben saying hey i need to get back to maryland and celebrate my roots and remind people how good the hunting is on the east coast whether it's you know, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, Virginia, oh, and yeah. even smaller states, Delaware and, and New Jersey have a ton of hunters. Mm-hmm. They're managing land as well as people are doing in the Midwest. Yeah. That the philosophy of, you know, let them, let them grow older, you know, balance the doe populations, put the, the food sources in, um, has definitely now become a nationwide movement.
0: Yeah. Now, I grew up – um I got my start hunting on the eastern shore of Virginia. Um, down around Eastville. I don't know if you're familiar if you ever go down that far south, but um we well, they, first of all it's the it's a north it's the more northern subspecies of whitetail as opposed to on the mainland of Virginia. So the bot the deer's bodies are a little bigger, probably the same as the ones you grew up hunting. Um but dude, we had some huge deer over there. And the at that point, I don't know if it's changed now, but Um, you did not see coyotes. There was like no natural predation. So, I mean, it was never a question of, are you going to see deer? It was like, how many deer are you going to see? And are you going to see the big one? Like there was deer everywhere.
1: Hmm. So what's it like now?
0: I don't know. I, I lost, (laughs) I lost contact with the landowner in college and kind of lost permission. They, they sold the hunting rights to the farmer and everything, but, um, I haven't deer hunted over there in years um, i know in eastern shore maryland their seasons are a little tight but um there's a lot of deer and pretty pretty good ones
1: and and i'd say some of the largest deer coming out of maryland are coming out of kent county mm. right over, as you go over the, the bay bridge and okay. i think because it's still bigger chunks of land agriculturally based yeah and, and as you and i know it really comes down the quality of the soil good soil equals good whitetails now you have to have age structure but if you don't have good soil then you have to have supplemental feeding like texas does or or kansas does to help balance out the nutritional deficits yeah but uh i mean it's yeah so i'm gonna start spending more time focusing on on the east coast after this so each year this is a moose hunting this year trying to get a uh a deer and waterfowl hunt in maryland maybe next year and oh cool you know just remind people uh the Midwest does have great whitetail hunting, but it's not the end all and be all for any.
0: Yeah, you know? man, there's definitely a great opportunity out here. And I mean, like, you know, talking to these Western guys, you're like, oh, man, you know, I hope I get my deer tag this year or whatever. And, and you can get multiple tags if you really put in the research and the work and you plan multiple years ahead. But like, I just go online and I can buy six deer tags in Virginia, like. Anytime I want.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it is. And it is getting tougher out West on, on the tags. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, one of the guys who, who works for me, his name's uh, Jake powers. He just, uh, he's been going uh, to Colorado over the counter tag, nine yeah. straight years, backpacking in with he and his buddy, uh, Aaron, I mean, putting in the work, they've killed some cows and, and some bears, but they haven't shot any big bulls. But yeah. this year he, uh, he just killed a stomper of a bull. Nice. So those opportunities are there. You just have to work a whole lot harder to, to figure out, you know, how to basically hunt around the public.
0: Yeah. And yeah, it's like I said, it's a multi-year, like I'm already looking at 2023. Um, I think I'm going to head to Colorado, Lord willing, if I draw for like, uh, for a mule deer hunt in 23, um, that'd be my first time hunting in Colorado. But, um, it's interesting the kind of, um, like different dynamic between there's like almost like the whitetail world. And then there's like the Western thing. And you've done a good job of kind of living in both ecosystems, but it's an interesting dynamic. Don't you think?
1: It, no doubt. Like, like just uh, their way that they approach hunting, the lifestyle of the hunting that the, a lot of these hardcore Western guys, I mean, they are just as fanatical as, as us whitetail guys. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe they can't manage the land to the extent that that we can because, you know, we, we either lease or own parcels or you have a, a high population of animals in a smaller area. Yeah. But if you think of the time they spend living on the mountainside, glassing up these public land animals. It's it's cool. And then they in 90 percent of the time they're spotting and stalking them. Mhm. you know so it comes down to a lot of woodsmanship and that's really what has drawn me to the western hunts. I love Same. to pursue an animal. I like the the, the spending endless hours glassing. I like mm-hmm. spotting, stalking. I like the the challenge of that and uh now, that's not to say in mid-November in the rut. I want to be in a whitetail deer stand. Period. <laughs> For sure. End of story. You're not going to find me anywhere else.
0: Yeah. No. I always say like I, I I have nothing against deer hunting like traditional. That's how I grew up. I still love it. Um, but I mean, it's just it's it just seems like so much more of a complete hunting experience when you're out there and you're literally using your legs and your back and your like your brain and your eyes and you're really like going after these things. Um, not that, you know, ambush style hunting isn't hunting, but I don't know when I, when I see, and, and this is a little bit of a segue into the kind of the TV stuff. I mean, um, I really like shows like yours where you kind of mix up and you have different Western hunts and and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of, outdoor TV that kind of falls into the trap of just a dude sitting in the box over a corn feeder. And it's just like, okay, I'm not ragging on that. Like I've done it before myself. Um, but, uh, there's just something that feels so much more of like a complete hunting experience when you just get out there and you're actually hunting them.
1: No, no doubt. And really where whitetail hunting's evolved and doesn't make it right or wrong because I participate in it is the use of technology. Mm-hmm. So I've got my hunt stand app and I sit here meticulously plot out where are my stands, where are my cameras, where are my access points, where am I finding their sheds, you know, mapping out, Dude, you know, my You got down products. to
0: a science,
1: right? I mean, and we're any variable we can control. Yeah. Right? And if you take, you know, I'm pretty blessed with, with connections and land that I, that I own and lease, you know, in the Midwest, I have 10,000 acres to hunt. Wow. So, you know, whether it's Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, or Illinois, Illinois being the, in the bulk of it, but we go in there, if we can control food, we do, we can control access, we do, we can control water, we do, we control habitat, we do. And the technology of my Reconyx cameras, especially cell cameras, I have a live play every day. That's cool. So it allows me to play chess with these animals that... don't get that out west, and a lot of um, states out west, you know, Utah being the most recent, mm-hmm. said, "Hey guys, come hunting season, trail cameras got to be pulled. You're on your own." And um, there's a lot of controversy about that. I like the purity of uh, of knowing it's one on one. You got to find them, dig them up, yeah. and uh, and you don't have that hope certificate of "Oh, I got a picture. He's alive."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, for you sure, know, so, man. So, so you're right. It, it, but you, you take all those experiences together. Uh, I think it does make you more complete hunter. No doubt.
0: Yeah. So that's cool. So um, I'm interested um, when, so, okay. You've been, your show is what, 13 or 14 seasons. Are you in, you're filming the 14th season this year?
1: So the, well in the format of hunt master. So I've actually yeah. been doing television for 26 years. Okay. Yep. So, so talk to me. When I was at, at Thompson center. Okay. Um, you know, when I, when I was running their sales and marketing program and then, uh, now transition into, to owning the show myself.
0: Okay. So I, I'm interested about just how you got into TV. So, I mean, take me back as far as you want to go. Um, and just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into outdoor TV. Cause I, I have a TV background myself, not an outdoor TV, but I'm kind of sniffing around a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was uh, I was fortunate enough to see the the birth of outdoor television. Mm. What I mean by that is, um, you know, I've been in the industry for almost thirty years now. So take your time machine and go back thirty years. Right, we had ESPN and you had TNN were the dominant television yeah. outdoor networks. And there's only ESPN there.
0: outdoors on Saturday morning
1: correct i grew exactly. up on that right. you had advantage <laughs> adventures you had real tree outdoors you had jackie bushman's show i think mossy oak may have had a show like there was just a few and the ratings were outrageous right because there was no social media yeah you had was your monster buck videos you used to get or your prime time bucks videos you used to get at mm. walmart and when those came out or you for me something. it
0: was the dreary guys Right. I was obsessed with those guys.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And uh, and they've had a huge positive impact on on our sport. So then the outdoor channel came into existence. So now, so you had a network dedicated 24 seven to hunt fish. And then after that, you know, then you had the sportsman's channel, you know, and then uh, obviously some of these other smaller networks popped up. So I got to see the pivot of marketing in our industry from uh print when i say marketing content going from print to television Hmm. because everything used to be the field and stream magazine guns and ammo bow hunter magazine that's it you and i grew up you know looking at all that stuff so fortunately when that transition was occurring i was working for thompson center arms and I, and I said, hey, there's a lot of really talented people out there. You have Jim Shockey, Leon Tiffany, Michael Waddell, the Drew Reese, Ralph and Vicky Sancerillo, you know, the, the team at, at Realtree. And I said, well, what would happen if we built a show around all of these, the best of the best? Hmm. So uh, we started off the, uh, the series, it was called Game Trails, when we originally started it, and then that trans- transitioned to Pro Hunter Journal. And, um, so then we kind of had the best of the best of all of the personalities and I was just hosting as a wrap. Okay. We're doing intros and outs and then I would do a, a hundred to a year, but I got to see that, uh, the connection people wanted, the viewer wanted to see what are we doing? How are we doing it? Or could I be you? And, uh, then of course now with social media and digital, people can watch it live. Like I just literally got back from the range raced in here to have our uh have our podcast citing in my my loader, get my scope mounted for my moose hunt nice so that's going to roll out of my stories tomorrow it's like people don't have to wait a year right to see what what's going on and I really think it's that access to content whether it's by celebrities if you will or or the average guy that really is is the momentum uh to get new people into the sport today
0: yeah. So is is it about doing everything like um you know some people's like oh you know outdoor TV's dying especially in the in the um western kind of space um you see you see guys like like your Brian calls and those guys tearing it up on YouTube and um but I've kind of been reevaluating um you know outdoor tv and um especially one thing for me is like the way big tech is now like they can just flat shut you down tomorrow like tomorrow. on on tv you have a little bit of a buffer of that um and it's for other reasons so i mean do you think uh do you think it's still a big time uh, contender in terms of how people ingest content and no, will no going editing. forward
1: Right. And we, we have the, 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 the data support this. And obviously, you know, my, uh, not a, so I also own a marketing and media company called Wildcom. Yeah. I saw that. And so we produce and market 10 television shows in, in our space. And so we work with 300 manufacturers, right? Whether it's the, 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 a smaller one, maybe like a, like a nose jammer or, or somebody of that nature, all the way up to a loophole or a Hornady, right? Um, big, big companies and the most and i will tell you the most valuable impression today is still television mm. the reason that is it's the most exclusive right you only have 12 commercials that air period now some of those are network commercials right they're running a chevy ad or a progressive ad and then some of those are obviously ones that are endemic you know that we place uh, in there through our uh agreements with the network and our sponsors Whereas you go on a social media and YouTube, I mean it's flick, 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 second and a half, second and a half. Yeah. So the quality of that, um, and then the diversity of that content, you don't know. Like if you were going to my social media, I mean it could be you know something from hunting, then it could be something from fitness, then it's something from nutrition, yeah. right, or something on self help or development. So there, that's the the algorithms dictate what I look at. Whereas television, people sit down as destination. Now, where TV is changing, and this is where we're evolving, is you do have people that are cord cutting or cord shaving, meaning people say, "Hey, I don't want two hundred dollar cable bill." Um, so now, with what they call fast channels, um, you know, through your Samsung television or Pluto or Zumo or Sling TV or Hulu, right? Um, my show starting in, in October will be able to be viewed on a hundred million connected devices for free. Yeah. So now it's still live streaming. It's not VOD Like YouTube is it's VOD. like
0: linear TV kind
1: of right. It's still like linear TV. It's just, you know, you do it right on you know, your cell phone, iPad, yeah. or if you have a Samsung TV, uh, on the wall you just go to their app and you yeah. can
0: watch it like i got like i said i've been doing a s- little bit of sniffing around and i i haven't had cable since college but i uh i wanted to start watching sportsman and outdoor to kind of get a sense of what's going on and so i got it's called like fubo i think
1: fubo yep yeah
0: and it's basically i think it's like 70 or 80 bucks and you just do, do an add-on to get the outdoor channels but um but yeah then you can watch just linear TV like anything else. And And I've been watching your show, but then I also have you on prime, you know, and stuff like that too.
1: So, so I think technology now is going to balance out the, uh, the, the linear um, service. So uh, now is there value to YouTube and social media? 100%. Absolutely. And the Brian calls of the world have figured out how to dominate that niche. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously podcasts, which you're doing now, everybody loves to tune into, it seems like people want to be immersed in content every moment they're awake. Yeah, it, I think it, it, and and so in other words, if if they get up, they're turning at least that they're like my kids, right? They turn music on to take a shower. Yeah, right? and mm. or to get ready in the morning, and then if they have a morning commute, they listen yep. to a podcast. Then they get to work on their lunch breaks or or in between you know spells of quietness they jump on their phone yeah um you know i can argue whether that's good or bad but as content producers our job is to provide a seamless access to our content and that's mm-hmm. kind of where things have uh have evolved and there's still um millions and millions of people who watch your traditional linear tv because that's how they grew up it's not confusing i got 200 channels i know channel 255 is outdoor channel yeah and that's that's just what they do.
0: Yeah, that's that's cool, man. Um, so how of um, tell me a little bit about Wildcom. When did you start that business?
1: Uh, back in two thousand and five. So, uh, you know, I was blessed with the opportunity with a PE firm to purchase Thompson Center Arms, and uh, so then uh, I I was elevated from VP of Sales and Marketing to their CEO. Wow. I ran Thompson Center Arms, uh, and then we were uh, approached by Smith & Wesson for potential acquisition, hmm. and a couple years into that, we, uh, we sold the company to Smith & Wesson, and then I became president of the long gun division. So prior to me or prior to that acquisition, um, Smith & Wesson was a handgun company. So I helped to develop their long guns, whether it's their AR platforms, uh you know and then we had their hunting rifles and shotguns and and what have you and uh and then a couple years into that they were publicly held company and um fantastic manufacturers really really great on technology i was just like i like the marketing and media world i like uh, you know I, i like building brands and i like working with companies that i can help uh influence so um when my contract uh, came up for Renault, I said, guys, I want to go create a marketing and media company, which I continued at the time to support them um, through marketing efforts and started Wildcom. And then talked to the Michael Waddells and the Lee and Tiffany's and the Don and Candy Kiske's and said, hey, I think, there's, I think we can make uh, an argument where you guys need business managers. This is where it's going. And uh, help me to make you more successful. Yeah. And, that's that was a birth of Wildcom. and then we also do a lot of other marketing services, whether it's social media, booth design, packaging, like all the traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. So if a company comes to us and says, "Hey, that's great, you know, uh, we'd love to support uh, Drop Zone with Hal Schaefer and Greg Zipadelli, but we really could use some logo work for us. Can you help us with the logo?" Absolutely and Mm -hmm. it uh, keeps me kind of in the bullpen of the industry i love this industry i couldn't imagine doing anything else um you know because it's it's a it's just a a love and a passion for the outdoors and trying to create this legacy and pass it on to the next generation
0: yeah i'm the same way man like it's just like when it's something that you love and you just it's like, even if I wasn't working or trying, you know, if I wasn't trying to build something in this industry, I would still be obsessing and thinking about it all to like go to bed at night and like thinking, about, okay, what, what tags am I going to apply for next year? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, it's just like, I'm obsessed with it anyway. So to be able to kind of channel all that like obsession and, and try to like make it into, you know, a business um, is, is really cool. It can be a little bit dangerous cause sometimes it's hard to turn off when it's like family time. But, um, but, uh, which actually is a, a pretty good segue. Um, has it been cause you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, I got like four big out of state hunts this, you know, this fall and, um, it's going to be like bang and then home for a couple weeks and then gone two weeks and home for a couple of weeks and gone two weeks. And, um, you know, I have a young family and stuff like, um, has it been challenging to balance the, you know, not stress because it's at the end of the day, it's fun and it's work we enjoy, but it is work and you do have to perform and and you produce content. Um, Has it been tough to balance that with family or how have you been able to manage that successfully?
1: I mean, great, great question. So I've got three girls um, that are 2018 and 16 now. So obviously I've been doing this since they were born. Right. Um, So I guess in one respect, they grew up knowing dad's got to travel to work right just like other executive travels or somebody in the military um uh i am happy to say i never ever missed a father-daughter dance yeah so i mean there were times that i literally slid in and was shaving in in the men's room and putting (laughs) on my little monkey suit to go dance with uh with my you know eight-year-old girls at the time but um i tried to when i'm home i don't hunt yeah I still work i do wildcom work and obviously I'm, you know i build content go to the gun range shoot my bow in the backyard and you know fletch arrows down the basement but you know like this weekend i was at my daughter's hockey game in Stoneham, mass you know uh, columbus day weekend i was taking my daughter back to college um so i try to do things that are memorable and special and then when i'm gone i utilize technology to remind them i didn't forget about them yeah So when i was in alaska Obviously, you don't have cell service, so I have a Garmin inReach. Mm-hmm. And every day, hey, thinking about your house school, what's going on. And um, because it, it is tough. They they would go, you know, I travel 170 days a year. Whew. That's a long time. Yeah, Be trade shows, working on the farm, putting in food plots, managing habitat, and then filming the show. Yeah, There's big gaps of time that um, you, you, you don't get back. And yeah. uh, it pulls at your heartstrings. It's not easy, but finding that balance of making it when you do come home you're special you have my time
0: yeah are you are you married uh divorced okay
1: yeah
0: um yeah it's been that's been a little ch- i think the kids you know my kids are young they kind of like okay and and i've been traveling since my son was born as well um so i think the the, the bigger challenge is kind of with <laughs> with their mom you know um yeah. But,
1: um, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it goes hundred to zero, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But
0: that's what I've been trying to do too, is like, okay, yeah, I got to travel, but lots of men have to travel for work. Mine's just happens to be condensed into like a three or four month period. And then when I'm home, you know, I work from home so I can pick up the kids from school. I can, you know, go to their teacher meetings and, you know, like you said, like be here when I'm here. Um, so, But in, and then back to, well, kind of along the same lines, um, have, you know, coming from the East coast, you know, we have the added production costs of travel, just logistics, not only cost but just time and headache of, um, you know, always having to fly places or attack on three days for driving. Like, um, have obviously you found a way to make it financially viable, coming from the East coast and, and uh, like, I guess, I mean, that was the heart of my question is like, can this be done from the East coast if you're focusing mainly on Western hunts?
1: Uh, It's yeah. The answer is yes. And it's, and it's a balance. And you're right. The logistics of travel, just to give an example. um, And I don't do many of these trips, but so I went to the Alaska peninsula to hunt barren ground caribou and, and I take two, professional videographers slash photographers with me, just my airtime call or my, uh, airline expense, just airline $15,000 for three guys. It's just three days in three days out. It's commercial into Anchorage. It's charter into Nelson lagoon. Then it's private Bush planes, right? Mm-hmm. Float planes or tundra planes to get me in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right. I'm hunting public land. To get me in the middle of nowhere, drop me off, and then pick me up in a, in in a week, and then arranging for gear and then extra luggage and camera stuff. So you're right, it, and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> my my flight to New Mexico tomorrow is nine hundred dollars. Yeah, like right. Why a year ago that was four hundred. Yeah. So um and but, a lot of these
0: guys you know, like Chris Denham or whatever, or like Nate simmons can just jump in their truck and drive.
1: It, it right. So <laughs> so the guys in the Midwest, uh, you know, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, they they definitely logistically have an advantage over us east coast boys. And uh so now, you know, my main moose hunt, I drive. I don't have that expense. So I try yeah. to balance that out with um you know with areas that say, "Okay, I got an expense over here and this one's a little bit cheaper." And yeah. and, and try to you know, spend the money is where it's most valuable. But to your point you made earlier, there's a lot of pressure on you to produce. Like you spend this money time away from the family mm-hmm. and, and you, you got it. I mean, I, I went on my antelope hunt this year, bow hunt and New Mexico, good, good unit in the area I had access to. I thought, oh, this is fantastic. Go out there. Didn't kill anything. Saw a lot. Yeah. Nothing under a hundred yards. And so you 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 feel I made a great television show. We had great social media, fantastic content for the sponsors, uh, and and for the viewers, the fans. But there's still a little bit of a letdown.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: It's you know because and I will tell you, I didn't want to shoot them over a water hole. I've done that. Nothing against that. I wanted the personal challenge of spot and stalk. Yeah. So I also kind of created a, a, a bar that was really high for me to jump mm-hmm. over.
0: That's um, not easy.
1: No, and with a cameraman. Yeah. <laughs> right? That is tripod, big camera. Yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, and unfortunately, the way New Mexico works, they only give you a five-day season.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Same with, like, rifle elk and muzzle litter elk.
1: Right. That's it. You get, yep. you get five days. So, I can't – there's not a go-back. Like, last year, uh, I you know, I, I had a public land tag for Mule Deer mm-hmm. in Nevada. Nice. Didn't kill with a bow. Right. I so think I watched that episode.
0: Kill. Is it one with the fire?
1: Uh, no, a, di- a different one. He's okay. uh, actually, uh, he just uh, got finished being mounted. Uh, it was my. Uh, oh, that huge.
0: Th- the third 200 in yeah. three years fourth, or whatever.
1: Four, yeah. Fourth 200.
0: That thing was that a beast.
1: I've, uh, that I've killed all public land. All, yeah. Anybody could have the tag I had. and um, But it took four trips, Hunter, to, to kill this animal. And, uh, but I had the ability to keep coming back, which was yeah. nice. And, um, you know, it, it ended positively, but that's how obsessed we as hunters get, you know, it's like a dog with a bone. I, I, it became personal. I wanted to beat this deer. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah.
0: That was an amazing deer. Um, and then going back to, you know, also, you know, being from the East coast as well, We don't have the advantage of, oh, you know, I'm going to take a quick uh, rip up there this weekend, camp, and do some scouting, Um, you know, and so that's another added, you know, challenge, uh, especially for me getting started out, you know, and I have absolutely nothing wrong or nothing against guides and outfitters. I kind of like to, I prefer to do a DIY if I can just because, I know mentally when I have a guy guiding me, I sort of check out, even if I'm not trying to. Like, you kind of just lose that, like, all in. Like, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. Everything I around me, like, how do I find this animal? How do you know? Um, you kind of go, or at least I kind of drop more into a mode of like, all right, well, I'm just kind of following this guy, and sure, um, and not that you have to do that. That's something you can work on, I think, too. But um, anyway, it's it's much. Tougher when you're trying to go in completely DIY on a piece of public ground you've never been on. Right. Um, do you, you know, because of that? Do you and because of kind of the, uh, I don't want to say pressure, but you know, the the need to produce, you know, top quality content and some of these tags that are very expensive and limited time frames and stuff like that. Um, do you, you know? not rely on do you use the help of guides and outfitters quite a bit or do you
1: not as much combination of both like you know with the nevada i had locals that i you know were friends with people out in the west um and they were already out scouting because they had tags Mm -hmm. so it was nice to have camp with them you know we share some expenses of a camper um and then uh hey, they have a tag, they're going their way, I'm going my but they they've already kind of said, Okay, um, you know, hey, over this ridge or over on Salt Tooth Mountain yeah. or wherever, you it's know, I've down a little there and, and, and what have you. And then uh then other cases like Alaska, uh, because of the expense, even though it was public land, logistically you know, have a, uh, you know, have a guide there, but, but you do make a good point. It is easy to become the passenger in the vehicle. Yeah. Right. Where somebody says, uh, Hey, why don't you drive home? Uh, I don't, what, what do you mean? I don't know where I'm at. I, I well, you were driving. I wasn't driving. Right. Um, so I do try to stay very active and, and I don't try to guide the guide if I have one, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I'm always thinking to myself, you know, What would I do? Like, would I make this move? Would I go in tighter? How am I going to get home, right? Logistically, do we have enough food? Is my kit right? Um, You know, because then I've also got to think about two videographers. Yeah. Because to me, it's not about, you know, whether I kill the North American 29 or not doesn't, you know, change who I am. If I shoot another 200 or a killer 200-inch whitetail, it's a 380-inch bull, I really like to have the perfect footage. That yeah. is like my, my goal. Like, if wait you see the footage in this caribou hunt.
0: I can't wait. It that was a killer bull.
1: Spectacular. Spectacular. Just the drama building up and the runoff, and then they stop. And the pivot of the animal as I shot, which is in slow motion. But if you played it in real time, I had to execute the shot in milliseconds. Hmm. And time that with my videographer, and make sure the lighting and the pre-roll, I walk away from that going, I don't care how much you scored. People are I ah, big, what's your bull? I don't know. You gonna see the footage? Yeah. <laughs> like that to yeah. me is what, you know, I really try to get great wildlife footage because that's yeah. so tough to do as a content creator. And, uh, so that's my personal challenge now. It's not whether, so I can walk away from my antelope hunt feeling, you know, tail tucked between my legs I didn't kill. But the flip side is, man, I got some really cool content and film three Boone and crockett books. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Do
0: you do some of your own editing work or do you work with editors mainly?
1: So I have editors that work with me and then I have some contracted. Okay. So I, I work with them intimately. Do I click the buttons? No.
0: You're kind of over the shoulder so producer. I,
1: right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's their that's their forte. And yeah. and uh, I've learned, you know, just in business and life you need a team. Absolutely. You know, I have so great content creators. I've got a, a fantastic uh, uh lady who handles social media and the content creation and, and all of the, the aspects of kind of the live environment. And then she helps write the scripts and, mm-hmm. and massage the shows. So having this group of six and eight people is really what it takes to do something great. Um, yeah. Now I take a Brian call, for example, and uh who, You know, as you mentioned, I shot with attack and look at him going, wow, he's, you know, he can create the content, be in front of the camera, but then he'll pop back and also edit like that's a real talent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, well, it's good to hear you say that, uh, I mean, I knew, obviously, it can be profitable because you wouldn't see people doing these TV shows if it wasn't possible to be profitable. But it's it's just, like, reaffirming to hear you say, like, yeah, you can – you live on the East Coast. You do this. You carry two camera guys with you. You know, you have some help with the editing, and you're obviously – I mean, it's, you know, it's right. successful.
1: It, it It is. Um but it's like anything it's a it's a passion you do and then you have to find ways to to mon- to monetize it whether sure. it's through a collection of podcasts personal appearances you know it's it's everything so sure. there's not just hey all I do is a television show and I can feed my family right right if I didn't have wildcom it wouldn't wouldn't all balance out yeah. and uh, you know you look at Don and Candy Kisky that they're also farmers. Yeah. So they have their television show, which dovetails perfectly, right? They, they're they getting their crops out of the field, and then they pivot to hunting. Mm-hmm. And then when they pivot out of hunting, they're shed hunting, and then it's time to plan again. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of balanced that out. Uh, you know, take Jeff and David Lindsay is, uh, you know, they build homes. Now they build a team, so when it comes hunting season, right, they can kind of manage people and then film their television show and YouTube series. But then, you know, when they're not filming – they're back on the job sites. Sure. So I think everybody has to have multiple avenues of, of revenue to get yeah. to work.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, all right. I'm trying to see where I wanted to go from
1: here. Um, how do you get a polar bear tag? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the getting the tag is not the, the tough part oh really um, yeah because they the polar bear populations as good as it's ever been
0: really so it's not like this uh this drama though the anti is like oh polar no, bears are all dying
1: in, in fact there there's uh the 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 inuits or or uh you know the indigenous people i mean they uh they have to contend with these polar bears all the time and sometimes they're coming into their camps and mm. you know they have to you know harvest animals just from uh you know safety standpoint but getting the tag is not tough because the um the 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 government uh, obama uh shut off the importation of polar bear hides in the united states hmm. so what's happened is it gutted the hunting industry from the u.s perspective so you can go harvest the animal Right. A good friend of mine uh, that he's been on my show and we manage ground together, Ernie Santana, just killed a 10 foot two polar bear this year with his bow. I think it's, I want to say a seven all time in the world.
0: Wow. They so. can't bring the hide home.
1: Can't bring it home. That's crazy. So, so really, the U.S., the, in which kind of drives me crazy a little bit, the U.S. Even, government.
0: Is that not, even if you kill it in Alaska? Do they. Do they even they have polar bears in Alaska?
1: I don't think they have a, a huntable population. Okay. Yeah. So the U.S. government is telling Canada what they can and can't do. The Canadian government says, hey, we have measures and we're tracking these. Here's X number of tags. that, And a lot of them don't get filled. Mm-hmm. But the government says, as well, we know better than you do. So mm-hmm. we're not going to allow the importation. Yeah and uh so unfortunately uh people can't uh can't bring those hides back so the answer is yes you you can find some really good opportunities um but you're not going to be able to enjoy the the trophy in your room that's that's tough man yeah Um, well so tell me about your uh your
0: caribou hunt because It was a caribou hunt that changed my life. I ate tag soup on it, but it still changed my life. It was my first ever, like, Western DIY hunt. We literally did a walk-in caribou hunt in East Central Alaska. Um, We had to reshift and go to a new spot and almost killed, but, you know, we had a couple small bulls. We weren't sure if they were bulls or cows. We didn't pull the trigger. Um, uh, but anyway, the trip just changed my life and kind of set me on this, on this new course. And, um, so anyway, just give you a little backstory of myself, but, uh, tell me about your caribou trip, man.
1: Yeah. So I love caribou hunting and i and it's interesting to see how it's changed. So even back before I started to do TV, like one of the hunts I always wanted to do growing up was to go see the caribou migration. So yeah. buddy and, and and I, we went to uh Quebec Labrador, drove to Montreal, flew out of I mean, so now you're going back 30 years ago, right? Um, and literally, we saw the migration of the Quebec Labrador herd, That's which cool. now is virtually unhuntable because they've shut down so many areas and restricted tags and they've had a big die off. I don't know that you really know why, uh, whether it's change of habitat or disease or what have you. Um, so I kind of saw the heyday of caribou. And then, uh, and then I really got into hunting mountain caribou for a lot of years. And actually I got to attribute that to Jim Shockey. Mm. He got me into that because now you're hunting. It's like you're sheep hunting for a 500 pound animal with 400, 400, (laughs) 400 in his head. So I, I got into that and then I'm like, well, if I'm doing this and I go over to Newfoundland, I kill the woodland. So, um, well, I haven't so done the barren ground. Really anymore.
0: quick to to jump in. So for the slam, you have to get the different subspecies of caribou. It's not just a
1: caribou. It's just not right. So here you have Quebec, Labrador, mountain, woodland, barren ground, which is what I just killed, and then central barren ground. Okay. Which uh, so
0: which subspecies is the forty
1: mile herd? Do you know. I don't know. I okay. would assume barren ground. Okay. I would barren ground. Uh, which is what I just, what is, what I just killed. Nice. So it's those collection of, of locations you go. And even though they're all caribou,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're dramatically different. Yeah. And in this hunt was, was more about getting access to the Alaska peninsula. Right. So off the Southwest corner, you have this, uh, chain of islands that yeah. go out. So the, uh, they call it the Aleutian, the Aleutian, chain. Yeah. Or Aleutian islands. And um, it's getting there. Now, once you get there, it's a non-migratory herd. Now, they move around the chain um, based off of feed and weather and and all that. But if you can locate where they are, you can find an animal. Now, to find a special animal takes a lot of walking and a lot of glassing in the tundra, stepping up, stepping down, squish, water up to your knee. So then, it becomes more like, how do I get them, and am I willing to be cold, wet, and miserable? Mm-hmm. You're, you're It rains all day long. You like you live in your rain gear. Period. Sure. And then you just pray it's windy because the bugs, the bugs out there, <laughs> hunter, horrible. Oh, yeah, like yeah. carry you away. Face net buzzing around, horrible. Yeah. Um, which. You know, I, I, I say that not to scare people away, just to be prepared because oh, when yeah. you come back, you're, you're pretty proud of what you accomplished.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Is it, um, so ever since I did that first walk-in trip, I've been looking at, you know, trying to like find an air transport and stuff like that, um, to get a little bit deeper in, mm-hmm. um, you know, the last couple of years, it's gotten insane. I think the price has gone up like a hundred percent from when I first started looking. And not only that, it's like how far out in advance do you have to book. Like, can you even find someone that'll book you? Is it? Um, and I'm talking about the forty mile herd mainly here. Um, is it? Is it just as challenging to get air transport for that hunt you did, or is it a little easier?
1: Well, My mine, mine's more challenging just because there's, wow. some, there's less people servicing the. Uh, the Aleutian chain of islands. Okay. So So how,
0: how far in advance did you have to book that?
1: I booked it a year out. That's not too bad. Which, which isn't horrible, which most times if you do a hunt outside your backyard, right. Even, even a hunt in Utah, I'm booking that a year out. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. So I say logistics um, it's gotten easier obviously because of the internet and social media to find, people or find services that'll get you places. Yeah, And Alaska has become very well developed on creating infrastructure uh, in the, in the state to get people because they see hunters bring a lot of money in where now, if you need to rent tents or rent rafts or sticks fences know, stick to getting places like there's, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm dating myself. If you go back 20 years ago, there was no social media. Yeah. Like, Who do I call? Where do I find them? Right. You know, Google wasn't what it is today or search engines today. We, you know, we have it pretty good as hunters to, we can find somebody to get us where we want, we want to go. And I'd say if you just prepare a year out, you can, you can get any, anywhere you, you want to go. And then you just hope that time's up with the migration or animal movement or, or the right right patterns.
0: Yeah. Interesting, man. So, so how did that hunt go down? Do you want to tell me how it went down or is that just, is yeah, it a surprise? It,
1: uh, no, it, it was, uh it, it was fantastic. So we got delayed getting from, so we got into base camp relative. So it took two days to get to base camp and then we got weathered in for a day because of wind. Mm. As you know, in Alaska, you can't fly and hunt on the same day. Right. Rule. Excellent rule.
0: Except for uh, blacktail. Oh, really? Yeah
1: interesting interesting i'll well, have to <laughs> have to read up on that so the so we knew we were gonna we were hoping to get in like late so i didn't lose a day so the next day we uh you know we could fly we got in at noon so then it just became a scouting expedition yeah um which is um you know basically go try to find animals mm-hmm. and it's crazy because it, it, there's a lot of roles and terrain features even though you look at something and it looks flat, mm-hmm. and it looks easy to walk on. You look over there, and go, ah, that's only a couple miles away. I can, <laughs> I can get over there pretty fast. Yeah,
0: on tundra, it's different.
1: Listen, <laughs> one mile an hour is what I tell people mm. to expect. Yeah, in the tundra with a thirty-pound pack on, yeah. right? With with you know, if you know, most of the times you're wearing you know knee boots or hip boots or wading pants or something. So plan on. If you go, if that animal's two miles away, you're going to spend two hours one way. So optics are key, having a good spotting scope, having good binoculars and really making sure then, but a lot of times you'll be glassing and all of a sudden they'll just come up over a rise. You see them, you're watching, watching, watching. Okay, let's get our gear ready. Okay, one more time, look in the glass, make sure it's out like, where'd you go? Yeah. And, and it's not that they go miles away. But these just these little rolls are mm-hmm. just enough to hide them. So uh, you know, we spent three days playing that, you know, playing that game of kind of like whack There they are, where they go. There <laughs> they are, where they go. And um, so we had a lot of dead end walks. Yeah. Cool experiences. We saw four or five brown bears, one two-year-old, I call it a cub. It's not a cub, it's a two-year-old that must have been kicked off its mother like we came over this little rise and he was 40 yards away Oof. feeding on uh, on blueberries yeah and, uh, so then we kind of hunkered down enjoyed the scenery filmed him so it's um it's a it's a lot of fun i mean it ta- it's wearing you know sleeping on the ground yeah and then so you're not really catching up on the rest that you think you need you're eating your peak refuels right? So you're not really getting the quality of of calories that you need, but all of that makes you a man because you realize you don't need the comforts at home to be an outdoorsman.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. It's so good. Um, I love Alaska. It's just, there's just nothing quite like Alaska.
1: No, no. And it's one of our States, right? At the Mm. end of the day, it's a, you, you know, we're in the United States, the people are us, right? Nothing against Canada or Mexico or other countries, but um there's a brotherhood up there because they're like, Oh, you're from the lower forty eight and they share the same outdoor I mean everybody's yeah. into the outdoors in Alaska. Everybody.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you usually plan how how long do you usually plan hunts like that?
1: Uh I normally try to go two years out.
0: No, I mean like um how much time do you plan for the hunt to be? Like Over, seven days, ten weeks. days, two, two weeks. weeks?
1: Yeah. Two nice. weeks with logistics, knowing I'm gonna I'm gonna lose six days, three in, three out. Right, right. then i try to plan a week for for the hunt so okay not quite two weeks door to door yeah but you know i will tell you when you come home is is, and of course for us being on the east coast it's a four hour time difference yeah yeah and uh so when you come home like you're screwed up on the time yeah so you try to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night you can't go to bed and it's now three in the morning before you fall asleep and then the sun's up in another two hours and so it takes a a day or two to reset the biological clock for sure
0: for sure, man. Well, man, this has been really interesting. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, so this has been great. But where can folks find you, find the show if they want to check out more?
1: Yeah, um, obviously all the social media handles, uh Instagram and uh and, and TikTok and, and Facebook. So, you know, Huntmasters TV on Instagram is uh is the easiest. Uh, and then cool. I have a website which is huntmasters.com and then we air five days a week. So you can go on outdoorchannel.com and look at the airtime Sundays at eight 30 is a primary air. Cool. Um, and like I said, come, uh, come October, we're going to be launching on the fast channel. So people will have access to content 24 seven, you know, going, going forward. So we're, we're excited about that, but yeah, you know, good luck yourself uh, with the tags that you have this yeah, year. Man. You're excited to, uh, you know, lace up your boots and head back oh, out in yeah. the field
0: absolutely man i appreciate it all right man well thanks again for your time i appreciate
1: it take care have a good week. good luck